0: Sovereign in the mountain air, sovereign on the ocean floor, with me in the calm, with me in the storm.
1: Good morning. Good morning. It is, uh, it's good to be together. Uh, welcome. If we've never met, my name is Connor. I'm one of the pastors at Grace and would love to uh, meet you soon. I uh, also want to welcome anybody who's joining on the live stream. Uh, thanks for being with us as well. If you're new this morning, uh, we want to say welcome. We're really glad to have you with us and we'd love to meet you after the service. Up at the front, you can meet a pastor or elder. There's also people outside at the Welcome Center who'd love to say hello. So glad to have you with us. And for all of us, every Sunday morning, we remind ourselves that at Grace, we want to be a Christ centered community intent on proclaiming the gospel, making disciples, and sacrificially serving Jesus. Uh, That's what it's all about, and that's what we want to do this morning. So, with that, let's begin our service by reading from God's word. If you're able, please stand uh, with me, and we'll read from Psalm 123, verses 1 and 2. Psalm 123, the first two verses. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maid servant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God, till he has mercy upon us. Father, we are grateful that you have disclosed uh, your purposes and will in your word. Uh, We know that anybody who turns and looks to Christ alone for salvation Receives your mercy, and so we praise you for that. Um, Would you humble us this morning? Would you draw us into uh, deeper fellowship with you through Christ? Would you comfort us, and would you challenge us where needed as well? And we pray that it would all be for the glory of Christ in His name. Amen. Sing together
0: this morning, mercy God has shown us through Christ. are God and shown to those who sin in death's shadow Destiny shattered the darkness and lifted our shame. Holy
1: comes from Ephesians chapter 4. Please, uh, please turn there with me uh, in your Bible. It will remain standing uh, out of honor for God and his perfect word. It's authoritative, inspired, inerrant, sufficient in all ways for our lives. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called Just two things to mention before we go to the Lord in prayer. First is a reminder that uh, a part of our worship together, those of us who worship at Grace, is giving. And there's opportunities to do that through the website as well as in the back uh, in alignment with especially uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, the encouragement to give cheerfully and generously. Uh, And then second, as we pray, we're going to pray for Rick Johnson, a longtime supported missionary with Grace, and he works locally. Is Rick here right now? I don't think he's in this service, but uh, he works locally with uh, young people in juvenile correctional facilities, and so we'll pray for him in his ministry. Let's pray together. Father, we are amazed and grateful. Um, it's an awesome thing that we can come and, and as your people, uh, enter your presence and speak with you because of Christ. Thank you that you hear us. Uh, because we've been united to Christ, those of us who trust in him and have access, even bold access, to come to speak to you, to lay our requests at your feet, to worship you. And so Lord, we praise you and thank you. Um, we're so thankful as it's the month of December now and you give us an opportunity each year to think about the incarnation. We're so thankful uh, that you sent your son into the world, the only hope, the one who would uh, come as the eternal Son of God, uh, to take flesh, to dwell among us, to live righteously, to die uh, as a substitute, to rise again in glory. Um, Lord Jesus, you are our only hope. There is no life apart from you. There's no forgiveness apart from you. There's no uh, returning to fellowship with the Father apart from you. And so we just want to worship you and praise you as your people this morning. Would you open our eyes again this morning by your word to show us your glory, to show us the glory of your humility in coming for us, to show us uh, the glory of the life that you lived and the death that you died and the salvation that you've worked for us and the glory of your resurrection as well. Lord, we want to live lives that are wholly devoted to you, uh, that you would be the unquestioned Lord of all. Um, Would that be true of us individually and as a church Would you continue by your spirit to work In us, that which is pleasing in your sight. Uh, Lord, we pray for that as a church. Uh, We also want to lift up Rick Johnson to you. We're so thankful for him and his uh, long, uh, this year's of faithful service to you. Uh, We pray that you would cause the ministry he's doing to be blessed and fruitful. Pray that as the gospel's going uh, into the minds and hearts of people who've, at a young age in their life, already uh, made decisions with real consequences, um, Would the gospel come with uh, power and would it uh, set them free to to know you and worship you and walk with you? Um, Lord, pray for uh, the Christmas outreach that that they have coming up in the facilities and pray that you bless that. And we pray for Rick personally that you would uh, just encourage him, strengthen him, sustain him, help him to be focused on the things that matter most and to serve you uh, with joy in a way that would be pleasing to you. So we're so thankful for him and his example of faithfulness. Uh, Lord, we're grateful to be together this morning. Um, we know that apart from you, we can do nothing. Um, but as your word abides in us, uh, we can bear fruit for you. And so we pray that you would continue that work in us this morning, all for the glory of Jesus, our Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You would stand with us again as we sing, grace and measure.
0: free but do me from me sir Lord, we pray for those who do know you, that you would continue to bring bring conviction, bring comfort. Lord, we, we pray that it would produce a fruit in us this morning, a fruit of repentance, a fruit of righteousness, a fruit of peace. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would be honored and glorified through your body this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: In Ephesians chapter 4 today, willingly walking worthy of the calling that God has called every believer to in salvation, illustrated by Mary's humility, humble acceptance of God's plans without complaint. Our passage for today we'll be looking at specifically is Ephesians 4, 1, and then on into verse 2, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And then, verse 2, with all humility. And some of you are saying, this is not a Christmas season passage. And uh, I would just answer everything is. Everything in the Bible is. Uh, the Old Testament looked forward to Christ's sacrifice, uh, the New Testament looks back at it. And everyone, anyone ever saved, was saved by grace alone, through faith alone. In the Redeemer alone, Abraham and Moses and David looked forward to the Redeemer, we look back, but in God's providence, people like Peter and John and Mary lived when he appeared. And Mary was chosen by God to bear the Christ child, and carrying the incarnation was her calling. With that, let me ask you a question before really we dive into this passage. What things right now in your life, and I mean right now in your life, right this very moment as you've walked into a service of worship or maybe if you're online, you've, you've, uh, you've hopped onto this live stream or hearing it in the future, if God wills. How many things right now are competing for first place in your heart and life? What's competing for first place in your heart and life? What's keeping you even from following Jesus closely. And I think the Christmas season is, is a good opportunity to reset those priorities. And it's one thing to love Christmas. It's another to live with understanding and to live the Christian life. Now, I've loved Christmas as far as I can remember. I think I would be one of those people who would say, I, I have loved Christmas my whole life, but I did not understand Christmas my whole life. I loved Christmas as a child because of of gifts and gatherings, the wonder and excitement and all of that, but I love Christmas now because I celebrate the incarnation of the Son of God who came to earth and became flesh and dwelt among us and gave his life for us. And I used to love Christmas for what it did for me, but I love it now because of what Jesus did for me. And that makes all the difference. Christmases growing up were great. I mean, seriously, I cannot remember one bad Christmas as a kid. But my first Christmas as a a born-again believer in Jesus, regenerated by the Holy Spirit, that Christmas was glorious. And everyone sensed my wonder at Christmas centers on the greatest gift ever given, and you, when you know it, it affects your living. It affects the way you live, and the problem is that we, though, live with our fallen condition. We face it on a daily basis every time we look in the mirror, every time we do anything, and we realize that we fall far short of that glorious ideal, and what happens is, and it just, it just happens. You, you start to mix. If you're a, a professing believer, you start to mix worship of the creator with created things. And, and idolatry creeps in or even comes crashing into your life. And it shows up in similar ways in, in the lives of professing Christians. And it could be for you functional atheism. Where, you know, it's like the windows are open and the air conditioning's on. It goes one, in one ear, out another. You hear the word, you don't do it. That you might even, on a daily basis, when you're away from the gathering of believers, live as if God doesn't exist. And if the Bible doesn't have an effect upon your life, you, you might be living functional atheism. Again, living with no thought of God. You might live empty intellectualism. Where you you hold to doctrine very strongly, but it's apart from the practical living of that doctrine. Or maybe you're into mysticism, and for a professing believer, that would be you seeking experiences versus living by faith with the body of Christ. I mean, almost like you want to be like the monks that would just go up into the mountains and seek experiences with God. Or maybe, and this is very common, maybe you're living moralism. And maybe you're trying to live the Christian life, but without doctrinal truth. And so that's how a lot of people live. They, they literally live, they say, I'm a Christian, but I'm ignoring the Bible. And they look at their life, and it's, the Bible's not a part of their life. And each of these errors and more, they have fatal flaws. And they're not going to get you where, where God wants you to go. None of them are biblical Christianity. And so we need this constant realignment. It's like you get your car aligned because you hit a curb. We need constant realignment. And so as the clock races to 1225, I want to to slow down and really dwell on the incarnation and dwell on what does it mean to live by faith in the Son of God? What does it mean uh, to live according to God's calling to salvation in Christ? What does it look like in your life when Jesus is your unquestioned Lord that we would even prayerfully consider this that we would take it seriously that we would want to live actively living a life that is centered on Jesus and that we would then then we would be able to truly joyfully celebrate even a season like this the the incarnation as we come into a, a season of remembering and we're going to do this with Ephesians 4 as our starting point. And I want us to first look at the phrase that is really the, the basis of our exhortation here in Ephesians 4.1, after Paul says, I, therefore, the prisoner for the Lord, urge you, there it is, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, and then into verse 2, with all humility. This command. Willingly walk worthily. And it comes at a very interesting moment in, in this letter to the Ephesians. It's after God's glorious grace has been highlighted and featured. And then the implications now are being considered. Because verse 1 is, is transitioning from the first part of the letter, which was focused on doctrine, which is focused on, on redemption, to the second half of the letter, which is exhortations calling for obedience. But keep in mind that this letter was written to be read in order. No chapter breaks originally, and it's all connected. And it flows together like water in a stream, and one truth to another. That doctrine drives your duty, that beliefs beget behavior, that the promises prescribe a certain practice in your life. That there, that there is a flow from here is what God has done, the indicatives to what we must do in his strength, the imperatives. And this, is, this is the flow. And so the church is being called very strongly to live what it believes. This is it. Live what you say you believe, church. What do we believe? We believe there's one God. We believe that he exists eternally in three distinct but equal persons the father and the son and the holy spirit then he is unchanging in holiness and goodness and grace and love and wisdom and he sustains and he governs all things by his sovereign will so because of that we're we going to live that you need to trust your life to the sovereign god we believe that god has revealed himself in the bible old testament and new testament That every word is inspired by God. That it's the word of God. It is eternal. And it's without error. It is fully reliable. It is trustworthy. So you need to be a hearer and a doer of the word. We believe that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Born of a virgin. Lived a sinless life. Died on the cross in the place of sinners and bore God's punishment for their sin, redeemed by his blood. We believe that all people created in God's image are equal in dignity and in worth. They're to worship and obey God. But due to Adam and Eve's fall into sin, human nature is entirely corrupted. And all are dead and and they have no spiritual life. And that salvation is 100% God's work. It can't be earned, it's not deserved, it's secured by Jesus, it's to be offered to all. That God in love forgives sinners, he gives mercy to whom he calls, he grants repentance and faith. So you must trust Jesus Christ to save you from your sins. If you're not a believer today, you must trust Jesus Christ to save you from your sins. If you're a believer today, you must trust Jesus Christ to save you from your sins. You must trust Jesus and his grace and his mercy and his holiness. We believe the church is is Christ's body. This letter was written to a church. It's written to the church. It's to all the church to which all the saved belong and it's made visible in local churches united to worship God and love one another and led by elders who preach the word and administer the ordinances and care for the flock. And so you must, if you're a believer, commit yourself to a local church. And what these first six verses in Ephesians 4 are telling us is church, based upon God's glorious grace in the gospel, you need to live in unity and love. It's central really to all of chapter 4. And what Paul is doing is he's strongly urging the church live in unity, in love, based on God, based on his calling, based on on his goodness, based on his work of redemption. You're joined in one body in Christ our Lord. And when Jesus is your unquestioned Lord, you willingly walk worthily of the calling to salvation. This is what it's getting at. And, and as we look at this, it says, he, he says, I urge you. What this is telling us is not, a, it's not a, 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 um, a suggestion. It's not, you know, if you get around to it, this is an authoritative command urge, implore, entreat. It's a big invite. He's making an offer you can't refuse. The word is perikaleo in the Greek. It's in the present tense. It's the first word in the Greek sentence for emphasis. It's a very common word. 50 times, over 50 times in Paul's letters, he says this word. It is a warm word. It is personal, and it is strong. It is urgent appeal. I implore you. I urge you. I entreat you. I'm giving you this big invite, and here's why. He's telling the church, I'm an apostle and the Holy Spirit speaking through me. And I am a person, it's really a superior addressing inferiors. He's giving a strong appeal to action because he is an authority over them in the Lord. And he's literally saying this, listen, I'm an apostle, and the Holy Spirit's speaking through me. I have authority over you in the Lord, so this loving authority demands obedience. This is like Jeremiah saying, you obey the voice, the word of the Lord. This is like Paul saying to the Romans in Romans 12.1, I appeal to you, I urge you, I command you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to the Lord. This is your reasonable worship. So this is an authoritative command that we see in verse 1, and it must be willingly obeyed. You notice he says, you must walk, or literally live your life, in a manner worthy of, of the Lord. This is what he's getting at. It worthily, literally, there's a sense of weight about the word. Literally, it's, it's the idea of, of balancing scales. There's a sense of weight. There's a worth. He's saying you need to live equivalent to the calling. You need to live appropriate to God's calling to salvation. You need to live fitting with Salvation. It literally, he's saying this goes with it. You need to live a life that goes with saying you're a believer. And he uses the word walk. It's a comprehensive term. It's your whole life, all your choices, all your actions. It covers all your conduct, every aspect of how you live. And in the, in, the, in the Jewish uh, context, in the metaphor of walking was very important. It was the idea of all your actions in everyday life and whether you were obedient or disobedient to God's covenant commands. So this was very important. At Sinai, God, when he gave the covenant to Israel, here's what he said to them. He warned them. When you go into these countries that you're going to possess their land, do not walk or do not live like they do. That you would to be committed to a lifestyle free from idolatry. This is what the Thessalonians Heard in chapter 2, verse 12, walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. This is the calling, Ephesians 4, 1, the calling to which you have been called. The word is used twice, calling used twice. The idea is you have been summoned by God, that you have been invited by God. Literally, you've been named by God. You are his now, Christian, and you've been given to him. This is referring to their conversion. They heard the gospel, they believed the gospel, and at God's initiative, they they received a free gift. There was no merit in those he calls. It's not based on your status or your ethnicity or or your history. We should be thankful. This is how God calls. And the calling here is, is the summons to faith by God. Peter put it this way in First Peter five ten: You were called to his eternal glory in Christ. Peter said it this way in Second Peter one three: You were called to his own glory and excellence. And we know that this call from Romans eleven. We know that this is an irrevocable call. The gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. He's not taking it away from you, Christian. It's a Godward call. It's an upward call, as he told the Philippians. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's a holy call, as he told Timothy. If you truly understand the doctrines of God's grace, it's going to lead you to desire to live a holy life. Do you desire to live a holy life, Christian? What what Paul is saying is, you set out every day, you get up, and you set out every day, wherever you're going, to live in a manner worthy of Christ." That's what he's saying. And, and remember who Paul is? Christ prisoner. And he's basically saying, "I command you, basically get to it." It's like when a parent comes into their child's room and says, "You need to get up. It's time to do your chores." Enough sleeping, you've slept enough, get up, get up and at them. All right, up and at them. Or, or like a farmer planting seeds. The farmer doesn't wait till late in the afternoon to go out into the fields. And what we're seeing here is it's one thing to say that you believe in Jesus. It's one thing to tell people, oh, I'm a, I'm a Christian. It's another to live in him. It's another to actually, it's, it's the faith without works is dead. You need to live in Christ. Faith is the root, works are the fruit. And sanctification is an imperative. It is imperative. It's not a suggestion. It's not something, it's not like you go to a, an amusement park and get on a ride and strap in and just enjoy the ride or you're on a cruise through the bay and you're just sitting there enjoying the ride. No, uh, sanctification is an imperative. It's a command. This is why the writer of Hebrews says, pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You say you're a Christian, you better be pursuing holiness. And and he tells the Philippians, you work out your salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that God is at work in you to will and do his good pleasure. Sanctification is not an experience that you just get to enjoy and and do nothing while God does this. No, you're exhorted to it. The, the the, the, The grace motivates you to work out your salvation according to God at work powerfully in you you live what you believe that's it god's glorious grace determines your destiny and drives your daily living and verse 2 tells you what it looks like like you know what does it what does it look like to walk worthy of the calling with which i've been called i'm glad you asked here's what it looks like look at verse 2 the very first thing the very first thing and by the way when we're told what it looks like, it's not some ready-made instant sanctification. You can pop it in a microwave and you get it in 30 seconds. No, it's more like a homemade meal. God at work and you wholeheartedly you know, preparing daily to act by faith in, uh, on the truth, loving truth. And what is it focused on? Look at verse 2. With all humility. It's the first thing. With all humility. What is Humility. It's low thinking. It means literally low thinking. Where you esteem yourself small. Where you don't think you're a big shot. Where you recognize the power and ability of God. And and here's here's the thing that will blow your mind. When he wrote this, in the first century, you could die for being humble. Josephus even said there was a Roman emperor who was accused of humility by the Praetorian guard when he refused a a pay bonus after a big win, and he was killed for it. Humility was not common in first century Greek, in the life of, of the Greeks. When it occurred, it had very negative connotations. If you were known as humble, it wasn't a good thing pride was more highly valued in that day to be proud was a virtue to them it's upside down i know but guess what it's the same as today people are telling you this all the time self promote exalt yourself you know pamper yourself think about yourself first that's the problem christians showing humility were ridiculed and yet humility has always been a virtue that God is pleased with. It's a virtue highly valued in both the Old and New Testaments. In Proverbs 3, 34, we read, towards scorners, God is scornful, but to the humble, he gives grace. In Proverbs eleven two, 2, it says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble, there is wisdom. Isaiah 50 tells us, Yahweh does not despise the humble heart. The idea is this that the lowly have no resources, is the poor in spirit. And so they rely on the Lord. They know they have no resources. It's like like Jesus saying in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. But pride, that's being filled with yourself. Pride, you think you're better. Humility is being filled with God and you know he's better so far greater. Humility is opposed to selfish ambition and conceit. Humility is opposed with you being impressed by your own gifts and abilities and self-importance. Humility is described in Philippians 2:13 as 2:3 uh, as considering others as more important than yourself. No rivalry no, no big power struggles. In Colossians 3.12, we read, as those chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion and kindness, humility and gentleness and patience. Tim Keller says, gospel humility is not thinking more Or thinking less of myself, but thinking of myself less. This is what Paul was like. This is what you're like when you get humbled by the gospel. And you keep getting humbled by the gospel. And this is what Mary is like in the Christmas story. If you go to Luke chapter 1 by way of illustration, will we'll illustrate this humility by, by Mary's responses. And considering, I, I thought about this this week, I'd never thought about it before, but I thought, what's the first thing I think of when I get into the Christmas season? I think of the, the birth narratives of Christ. Obviously, it's all about Jesus. But who do I think of next after Jesus? It's always Mary. In my mind, I I'll always default to Mary. I always have Mary on my mind first, and I think it's for good reason. She had this humble servanthood in the midst of suffering. And she was willingly walking worthily of God's call. And I just want to point out to you some observations of Mary's humility that's based on Christ. and similar to Paul being humbled by Jesus. Similar to him becoming humble. And four observations of Mary's humility. And there are things that should be true of, of you and I. And we'll look... And we'll pick it up in Luke chapter 1 at verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. That tells you he's in the line of the Messiah. And the virgin's name was Mary. And and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. The throne of his father, David. No mistaking, this is Yahweh. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. No doubt as to his identification. This is Yahweh in the flesh. And Mary says to the angel, verse 34, How will this be since I am a virgin? First thing I want to point out about Mary and this humility that God generated in her heart is that Mary humbly thought herself unworthy. What, he, what she said when she, when she sang the grace of God is that he has looked, he has regarded the low estate of his servant, of his handmaiden. We see it in verse 48. He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Paul says something similar. Timothy he says I was undeserving of salvation I'm the worst of sinners there's so many reasons to be proud back then and now and pride is the root of all of our sin it's too easy to be deflated or to be puffed up you know inflated by a wrong sense of worthiness or deflated by a wrong sense of unworthiness Well, what did what did Mary do and and what did Paul do? And what do what do true believers do? They humbly take the posture of, of an unworthy servant. Like I am not worthy to be saved. I am not I am not meriting any of what I've gotten. I, I don't deserve it. If you feel uh, the weight of your depravity today, maybe you're humbled by your many sins. Maybe you feel unable to come to God. Maybe you're downcast over your faults and your failures. Maybe you're a professing believer and you feel useless to the church. Maybe when we were singing, you felt like you couldn't even sing. Insignificant, utterly unworthy. You know, no reason in your heart that you could think to sing. But Mary let her lowness lead her to sing. Like she sang the, the, the painful praises of God in her, in her suffering. We, you know, we airbrush Christmas. We, we make it this, this wonderful, wonderful thing for Mary, and, and, and she was saying, I'm, I'm unworthy of this. And, and, and God has seen the lowest state of his servant, and then he's done great things. You know, the more you need his mercy, the more you know you need your, his mercy, the more you sing his praise. God has always despised and actively opposed pride. 1 Peter 5, quoting Proverbs 3, says, Clothe yourselves, like literally put on the clothes of humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Well, Mary humbly thought herself unworthy. Now, what did Jesus say to his followers? When you've done everything I've commanded you, just say we're unworthy servants. We always should be thinking this way. There should never be a, a time in your Christian life where you somehow you think I've progressed to the point where I'm no longer unworthy of grace. No, you're always unworthy of grace. That's the nature of it. Mary humbly thought herself unworthy and then secondly, she, she humbly accepted suffering. But she accepted it in a way that we often don't. She accepted suffering as a blessing, not as an ill-timed punishment. You know, how many times? Well, I, this is not good timing for this to happen in my life. Yeah, you know, I don't appreciate God bringing this into my life right now. How many times do we say, this, God must be punishing me for something? But Mary humbly accepted suffering as a blessing. She was willing to to be inconvenienced and misunderstood. She suffered unjustly for the glory of God. If you remember in the parallel passage in Matthew chapter 1, before Mary and Joseph came together, they were betrothed, which is as strong in those days as anything. It's to be married already, but they had not come and and consummated the union. Before they came together... She was found to be pregnant. And the Bible tells us, by the Holy Spirit. But everybody's looking at her going, you, pre- you, you did something bad. You, you either, you and Joseph did, or you and someone else. And so things would be swirling around. The assumption would have been that she had been unfaithful to God and to Joseph. What a a soul-dragging suffering it would be to be thought guilty when innocent your entire life. Your entire life. Not for a a, a day or a week or a few months. We're talking a soul-dragging suffering to be thought guilty when innocent and falsely accused her entire life. The virgin birth cost her. She suffered as the mother of Jesus. Elizabeth Elliot speaks of suffering. She spoke of it as a wilderness experience. She said, you you feel alone and helpless, cut off from others. And we long for someone to come to our aid and to be company for us and to get us out of this. What did Mary do? She went and saw Elizabeth. And what she got from Elizabeth is more gospel glory, goodness from God, but she wasn't getting out of this. And, and dear believer, God's love ex- expressed on the cross, revealed on the cross, always involves suffering. The only way you learn trust and obedience is things happen which you would not choose Or do you do not understand? And it's the way of growth for God's glory. Peter put it this way. If when you do good and suffer, you endure. Think of Mary for a moment. If when you do good and suffer, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you've been called. Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. Well, Mary, here she is, humbly thinking herself unworthy, but also accepting suffering as a blessing. When was the last time you accepted suffering as a blessing in your life? A third observation about Mary's humility. She humbly let her reputation become nothing and Christ's everything. Everything. She let her reputation go. She was most fixed on Christ's reputation. She had this overall willingness to yield to God, and and Paul was similar. I think of Paul. He didn't think of his reputation. He spoke the truth regardless of the potential costs. He was united with believers, but I was reading just yesterday in Galatians 2. They gave him the right hand of fellowship, saying we're all together, and he turns around and needs to rebuke Peter. Who was not being straightforward about the gospel, and here is Paul being straightforward and honest and not being afraid that Peter might say, you know what, you're gonna talk to me like that? Why don't you leave? And Mary had this astounding willingness to let her reputation be ruined for her entire life, pretty much shot for the for the remainder of her life for God's glory. I don't think I'd be willing to do that even a little. But Mary is not thinking life ruined. How many times we face something we think, "My life is ruined." Now you know what she's thinking? You know what Mary's thinking? She's not thinking life ruined. She's thinking, "Prophecy fulfilled." Oh, to think that way. Prophecy fulfilled, sovereign mercy remembered." So she let her reputation go, because she had a higher calling than herself. There was this kingdom impact, and that we need to go for the kingdom impact, not our reputation. And here's the interesting thing about Mary. This, this is a, just a kind of a startling thing about Mary. Here's a gal who let her reputation go, and there are millions of people who have built her a reputation above God. There are many false teachings that have made Mary an idol. If you've come from the Roman Catholic Church, you know what I'm talking about. You know, it says in verse 28, highly favored. Well, the early church used Latin, and, and the Greek word translated into Latin uses two Latin words, full of grace. We translate it full of grace. If you're from a Catholic background, you know, alarms are going off right now. They thought that Mary, many people think today, Mary, that, that Mary could give saving grace to people. So they began to pray to her. People were praying to Mary. Instead of looking to Jesus and his death on the cross, they're looking to Mary and praying to Mary. And the Roman Catholic Church teaches that she even remained a virgin, that she never had any kids. That Mary had sexual relations in marriage after, after Jesus was born. Hence Jesus' brothers and sisters. You know, Mark 6:3. Um, people falsely teach that she was without sin, that she never sinned. They teach that that she saves us along with Jesus. You'll see statues where Mary is taller than Jesus. Some will call her the co-redemptrix, literally joint redeemer. So they they built a relationship that's idolatrous. What's the truth about Mary? What's the truth about Mary? She was a godly woman with costly faith that you and I should imitate. And not only that, even as Joseph is wanting to divorce her, and the rumors that Mary had a relationship even with a Roman soldier, she stood her ground and, and believed the Lord. And even through the years, even through the centuries, there have been debate after debate of, what do you call Mary?" You know, I call her Mary, by the way, but they, they say, what, "What do you call Mary?" And in 431 A.D., there was a debate in Ephesus of all places, modern-day Turkey. And they said, do we call her the mother of God or the mother of Christ? It's kind of like, um, you know, people are having this debate. Do you want white lights on your trees or colored lights on your trees? That's just ridiculous, right? This is a serious thing. They're saying, hey, do we call her the mother of God or do we call her the mother of Christ? Now, if we took a vote today, I'm guessing that mother of Christ is going to win. And you'd be wrong. Here's why. They chose mother of God, rightly so. It's it's accurate biblically. Why? She bore God incarnate. And she didn't just bear the baby, she raised the child. Now, this is not claiming that that Jesus' divine nature came from Mary. It's not claiming that the Son of God didn't exist before Mary bore him. What it means is that Mary bore Jesus Christ the one divine being, the one divine person who is the Son of God incarnate. She birthed and raised Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And she asks this question. Luke 1.34, how will this be? How will it be? How, how will it be? What she's asking is, how is it that I would give birth to Yahweh. And, and Mary wasn't responding this way so that people would venerate her, that they would worship her. It's because she was reflecting Christ, who Philippians 2 tells us made himself of no reputation and took the form of a servant. She considered herself Unworthy. She accepted suffering as a blessing. She let her reputation become nothing and Christ's everything. And a fourth observation about Mary. Mary humbly believed. She humbly believed the promises. She humbly believed the promises in the word of God. She knew the truth. She waited on the prophecies. The people of God in the Old Testament economy, they they humbly waited for the coming Messiah. Mary was waiting. And, And she believed the word no matter what things looked like. Think about it. King after king, prophet after prophet, people were always asking, is this the Messiah? Is this the seed? Is this the one? Is this the one? No, 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 no. In Isaiah 66, we read these words. God says this through the prophet Isaiah. This is the one to whom I will look or who I will attend to. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. You take it seriously. It means something to you. Your life is is built on it. Elizabeth said to Mary when they met during the course of their pregnancies in Luke 1 45, here's what she said to Mary blessed is the one who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord blessed are you that you have believed this word from God why was that so significant well let me take you to another passage Romans chapter 1. Look in your Bibles at Romans 1, verses 1 to 3. Now, some of you are going to say, okay, Mike, this is also not a Christmas passage. Well, it is significant for Christmas, and I'll show you how. Paul is writing. Calls himself a servant of Christ Jesus, who was called to be an apostle, was set apart for the gospel of God. And then he says this, which God promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son. Now, if that's not a Christmas passage, I don't know
1: what is.
2: The gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son. I mean, the reason we we call this season Advent is because it means in Latin, a coming to. We celebrate the coming of Christ to the world at Bethlehem. Long expected Jesus, long awaited Messiah, promised beforehand in the Scriptures. And even now, we are waiting, looking ahead to the future return of Christ, the second advent of Christ. God is not slow about fulfilling that promise, by the way. But maybe today, you're tempted to doubt, be frustrated about God's promises, think he's taking too long. Will they really come about or not? Well, the promise of of the Messiah took a long time. In the context of Luke 145 is waiting a long, long time for the Messiah, as Galatians 4:4 says, "In the fullness of the time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, but under the law, that he might redeem those under the law." So blessed is Mary because she believed the scriptures. And blessed are you and I when we believe the scriptures. In Luke 1, the angel's telling Mary, you're gonna give birth to the long-awaited Messiah. The parallel passage in Matthew says that Jesus will save his people from their sins, The angel says, Mary, you're highly favored by God. You're going to give birth to the promised redeemer, and he's going to be great. He'll be the son of God. He'll rule David's throne forever. He's Yahweh. Mary says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? She's told by God's power through the spirit, you'll conceive a child because nothing is impossible with God. Do you believe it? Mary responds in humble faith. Here's her response. I am the Lord's servant be it done to me as you have said. She's saying, I accept God's plan. I'll take all, all the, the, the suffering that comes my way and the loss of my reputation. I will do whatever it takes. I will do what God wants to do to make his plan come to pass. And the focus on all of this is Jesus, the Messiah, who would bring blessing to the nations. Jesus told his disciples, Matthew 11, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. It's the invitation to come to Jesus, take his yoke, and find rest for your souls You know, weary, heavy soul. In Luke one fifty two, it says, He, God, has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble state. Isaiah 2.11 says, The haughty looks of man shall be brought low. The lofty pride of man shall be humbled. And the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Oh, for that day, now what better time than Christmas? When we celebrate the incarnation uh, to be to be reinvigorated in your faith, to be re-inspired in your faith, to be renewed in your commitment to live your faith. Even as you think of, of Paul, even as you think of the character of Christ that Mary displayed, that we must display it. if if you if you want to live you know Christmas life, if it as as it were Christmas life. True to form, true to the word, you know, out of all the ruts, just all year long. You freely walk in victory in Christ. Yield humbly to God because when Jesus is your unquestioned Lord, you're going to say, I want to willingly walk worthily of God's saving call. Like, I love Jesus because he first loved me. He chose me and saved me and secured me and keeps me. and, And every Christmas since I got saved, it's not about me, it's about him. It's about Jesus. So I'm going to rejoice in the incarnation such that my life reflects the glory of God in Christ. Christ crucified, risen, and returning. The promise is true. And when you do that, if if you say today, you know what, this is how I want to live. You know, we put a manger out once a year for a few weeks. Remind ourselves, it should be all year long. And if you say, I want to live that way, humbly trusting Christ, You're not gonna have to free yourself from all the traditions and all the trappings of Christmas so that you can refocus on Jesus. You know why? Because all of those things will be in a a very distant second place. And Lord, we thank you that you are who you say you are. and You do what you say you will do. And Lord, I pray that, that Christ would be Acknowledged by us as unquestioned Lord, that we by your grace would willingly walk worthily of your saving call, all because you first loved us. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with
0: us as we close singing. to a king For all the love you've shown For all your mercy over me I called your name You heard my cry Out of the grave And into the My soul is free Thank you God for saving me Thank you God for saving me The rock of salvation My hope is built on nothing less Morning by morning How great is your faithfulness I called your name You heard my cry Out of the grave And into life My heart is yours My soul is free You God for saving me. Thank you, God for saving me. Thank you, God, for saving me. You gave your life up. You suffered once for all, you made a way. Jesus, in victory you rose, you made us all your own, now we are saved. You gave your life upon the cross, you suffered once for all, now you made a way. In victory you rose You made us all your own Now we are saved Thank Thank you God for saving me Thank you God for saving me Thank you God my cry out of the grave and into life my heart is yours my soul is free
2: Before we go, Women's Favorite Things event this Friday night, December 8th, 7 p.m., Men's Christmas Breakfast this Saturday, December 9th, 8 a.m., Christmas Eve on the Plaza, 4 p.m., El Medina Family Gifts are going on, and also Matt Papa will be at Kindred Community Church uh, with a Christmas concert that we are all invited to December 17th. And Ashley Ortlip is going on a short-term trip uh, with One Hope Africa uh, in South Africa beginning uh, January 9th, and uh, Bethany Ma is there now, and so they overlap, I think, very briefly. All right, uh, we're going to close with 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And Lord, we thank you and praise you for this time. We pray, Lord, that humility would mark our hearts and our lives, uh, that we would truly consider ourselves your unworthy servants, and that we would even accept suffering as a blessing. And Lord, that we would think of your reputation above all. That we would believe what you have said in your word. All for your glory. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Sovereign in the mountain air, sovereign on the ocean floor, with me in the calm, with me.